0: It was the summer of 1990-something, and I was living and working in Portland, and my phone rang, and Mr. DJ, I'm going to apologize for most of this message right now. It was my gynecologist's office. They needed to cancel my pap smear because the doctor had had a family emergency and had to go out of town. And I said, oh, no, my insurance is changing next week, and I really need to get it done. So the woman on the other end of the line said, well, if you're welcome to see anybody in the practice, we'll fit you in tomorrow. So tomorrow I went, I checked in, they took me to my little room, I put on that thing they call a gown, (laughs) and I sat and waited for that tap on the door. And the doctor walked in, and he looked at me, and I looked at him. And then he looked at me again, and then I looked at him. And he said, did you and I go to medical school together? (laughs) And I said, no, but we did have a ministry class together last summer. (laughs) Now, I don't know what they teach him in medical school, but if I was the doctor, that's when I would have walked out. But he, it was when he sat on the stool and scooted up. He, he turned to the nurse, the lovely assistant, and he said, yeah, she and I had this cool class together. And then, like a shade tree mechanic on a Saturday, he went to work. And he, he looked up over the sheet. And he said, tell her about that class we had. And I said, I normally don't talk at this time. So he went back to work and he said, it was the coolest class. They taught us all about creativity and ministry. What have you been doing with that stuff we learned? And I said, not much. And then he proceeded to tell the nurse and me how he and his wife have aspirations to go be missionaries and how much it's going to help him, and pretty soon it was over. (laughs) And he left, and I got my clothes back on, and I was careful to cover every inch of skin that I could. (laughs) I adjusted myself, and I left the room and began to slink down that long hallway to the lobby. And when I just about had my hand on the doorknob of the lobby, he popped out of an office and was like, was that awkward for you? (laughs) So that night, I go home to my roommate's. And as happened so often, the four of us were in the kitchen of our house and we were just all getting dinner together and they were just feeling my pain as I told them all about it. And I'll never forget, one of them just said, why would Susan have to go through that? And my other roommate was stirring her saucepan thoughtfully And she lifted the spoon out and she said, I know why Susan had to go through that. Because one day she'll tell it to a room full of women. (laughs) And it's going to bond them all together. (laughs) Bonding. Bonding. I looked up the definition quickly this morning. It's to stick two different things together with an adhesive. And this morning, we're going to look at how the king of the universe sticks himself to us with an adhesive and how he longs to stick us to each other. Bonding. The king of our hearts wants to provide for the journey in these ways. We come to the Gospel of John this morning and Jesus is spending his last evening on earth with his friends. They're bonding. They're doing heart work. He's concerned for them. He knows all things. He knows he'll die tomorrow. But he also knows that they need to come to terms with the fact that their relationship with him will not end. And he wants them to look around the table during dinner and realize their relationships with each other are part of his provision for the journey. In John 14, Jesus basically said, I don't have much more time to talk to you. It's as if in the background there's a drum roll and everything he's about to say will be among his most important words ever spoken. So let's look at the beginning of John chapter 14. Here we go. Jesus says to them, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Don't worry, he tells them. You've trusted God. Trust me too. I'm making plans for you, for your futures. I'm going to provide for you. He knows he'll be betrayed. He knows he'll be denied. He knows his friends are going to abandon him and he'll be crucified. But who is he thinking of? His friends. It's the kind Of king he is. In effect, this is his deathbed speech to them. And he's thinking of them. Several years ago, my life's greatest mentor died at the age of 96. We had had a friendship for 20 years. She taught me most of what I know. So that day that she died, I'm sitting vigil next to her bed, and I was worried. My heart was troubled. But during her last moments on earth, what was she doing? She was speaking words of comfort and blessing to me, speaking things I'll never forget. I was healthy she was literally gasping for her last breaths. And she spent her last breaths on me. That's what Jesus is doing here with his friends. His final evening with them on earth. And he wants to be sure that they know he will provide for them. And although they're fearful, Jesus wants them to know that their relationships with him can continue, and they can get even stronger. Let's look further in John 14. If you love me, and again, this is Jesus talking, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus is going to ask Father God and Father is going to send the advocate, the supporter. This spirit, this advocate, this supporter will be in them. The spirit of God in people. They're not being abandoned. They are not going to be orphaned. There's this mystery that Jesus is going away. And there's also this mystery that he's coming to them. In spirit, to be in them. This is the Holy Spirit of God in full power, full character, full presence, dwelling in them. Further on in the same conversation... Later in John 14, Jesus says, I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. Jesus says to them, I'm telling you these things now. I know you're preoccupied, but what you need to know is that Holy Spirit is coming and he'll teach you. He'll remind you, he'll prompt you, he'll nudge you. And then further in John 14, verse 29, Jesus said, I've told you these things before they happen, so that when they do happen, you will believe. It's interesting that Jesus said it to them this way. There's a lot going on tonight But when you experience the Spirit, when you know his indwelling presence, when you live with him prompting you, teaching you, reminding you, in that moment, in those moments, it's going to help you trust me because you'll remember this moment when I first told you and you'll know I keep my word. And you'll grow in your trust To believe all the promises I've made to you. Words from Jesus the night before he dies to his friends. He wanted them to know that as the king of their hearts, he's providing for their journey. What are these nudges? What are these promptings? Maybe it's a nudge to speak up. Maybe it's a nudge to shut up. Maybe it's a nudge to do something. Maybe it's a nudge to not do something. As we grow, perhaps listening and recognizing the voice of the Spirit is like one of those muscles. Coming up in November, November 22nd and 23rd, Laura will be leading the Recognizing God's Voice Conference at church. A great way to grow in recognizing and being prepared to respond to the Spirit. The King of our hearts provides for us through Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God in us, the advocate, the teacher. The counselor who is fully God, Jesus promised that he would send the spirit while he was separated from his friends. So that ongoing relationship for a believer, for you and for me, with God, with the king of our hearts, that never ends, it's facilitated through Holy Spirit in us while Jesus is separated away from us. A morning routine at our house is that I get my boys ready for school and then we pace with backpacks on in front of the front window waiting for the bus to pull up. And a couple years ago, um, I began letting the launch song for my boys, it, it became Spirit of the Living God, Fall Fresh on Us, Fill Us use us. You know that song probably. And so morning after morning after morning, that was the launch song as my boys would get ready for the school bus. One morning, my son Joshua got right up in my face. Ma, ma, ma. And I said, oh, you want more singing. And so the next song that came to me was one I had written about the school bus that involved dance kicks. And so I began to do that, and both boys looked at me <laughs> with blank stares. And I looked back, and Josh kept going, Ma, Ma, Ma. And I said, oh, you want more spirit. And he stood up, took the straps of his backpack, and said, S. And that means yes. Do you and I realize that there's more? Do we long for more? Do we say more, more? And then do we wait expectantly? At this point in the evening, Jesus and his friends leave the dinner room and they go across to the garden. This is where he'll be arrested. This is where he'll be betrayed. And he takes another opportunity to speak vital things to his friends about the ways he's providing for their journey. He's told them about Holy Spirit, companionship with God dwelling in them. And now he talks about how to be rightly related to Father God, rightly related to Him, and rightly related to each other. He uses an analogy of vine and branches. Let's look at it in John 15. Jesus speaking to friends. I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. To provide for the journey, Jesus spoke to them about this necessary dependence. On God. Something that would have been pretty simple for them to understand sitting in the garden that night. Vines clinging to the branch. Jesus describes himself in relationship to God the Father, and he establishes that that is the pattern for a disciple with him. It's described in these verses as remaining. Remaining would be key. When a person accepts Jesus as Savior, they make that decision to follow Christ. Say they pound a ribbon in the cross at church. The next thing they are to do is to remain. When a person comes to a difficult place in life, they face a crisis that is life-altering. The very next thing to do is remain, cling. When someone faces temptation or falls into sin, what are they to do? Remain, get back quick. He wants them to. Jesus wants them to know that staying with him will be the key to everything in their lives. For grapes to grow, the branches must be connected to the vine. The vine is the source of all nutrition, whether it's drawing the nutrients from the soil or sustaining during a drought, whatever it is. Jesus tells them, apart from me, you can do nothing. Without Christ, a disciple is like a branch cut off from the vine. It withers, it dies. And a heart that dethrones the king of kings will wither, will die. The branch clings to the vine. The heart of everything in doing life with the king of our hearts is to keep him on the throne, to welcome him. And he promises that we'll have lots and lots of fruit Let's look at just a very short list. We can experience healing, love, patience, gentleness, joy, peace, kindness, self-control, contentment, finding ways to bless others. Raising families, healthy relationships, weathering difficulties, forgiveness, sharing the gospel with others, doing anything of worth whatsoever is the fruit that he longs to bring in us that it would remain. These things would happen in them, come out of them, only if they would remain. Bond with the king of their hearts in an ongoing way. Holy Spirit will work these things in continuing relationship. When the throne of our hearts is fully claimed by the indwelling King of Kings, this progress, this growth in us will happen. You and I can't force fruit, but the Spirit will bring the fruit. Further on, John 15, a little bit later. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. So often when we think of love, we think hearts and flowers. But Jesus explains that for a disciple to remain in love, they obey his commandments the way he models obeying his Father's commandments. The pattern for how disciples are to relate to God is learned from watching how Jesus related to the Father. And it's like a branch that clings to the vine. Continuing on in the same passage, Jesus still speaking to his friends I've told you these things so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Jesus told them of the necessary dependence on God, and now he speaks about a necessary interdependence with each other. He tells them to love each other in the same way he has loved them. He says to be friends. And I want to stop here for a minute and process friends. Jesus did it, and I think it's valuable for us to do it. I want us to think about friends. I look around this room and I see Marie over here, an honorary Garlinger. (laughs) I see Catherine and Betsy, some of the first women that I met through difficulty in some respects. I see... Lori, my mission trip roommate, who was just a little bit older, but much more mature than me. I see Cindy, the nurse, sitting next to her. The day my daughter was born, my labor stopped and they sent us home and we ran into Cindy and she prayed. And before we were even back to Kaiser, I was in more pain than I had ever been in my whole life. I see Manaz, an occupational therapist. I would never have met her if she hadn't worked with my boys. And Laura mentioned the other night, 20 years of crazy ministry. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, I think I remember the day I met her. And I would not go back and relive those 20 years But I think I have vision for where we might be in another 20. It's crazy stuff. I think of you first-timers who walked into that dinner Friday night demonstrating your faith in God's processes through friendship. I don't want to call anybody out, but I see my older friends modeling For the distance, you don't give up on coming together as friends. I see moms of hope and the commitment they've made to each other. It's crazy, but in 2006, I was pregnant with my daughter. Jennifer drank out of my water bottle, and she got pregnant with a girl, too. (laughs) Sorry, DJ. (laughs) And here is a really crazy thing. Tonight, my daughter and her daughter, born from the water bottle, (laughs) and Marie, the sugar mama, they are all three having a ladies' night out at the King and Country concert at the fairgrounds. This is amazing stuff. Friendship is a high and holy calling. Jesus said it's a laying down of your life for someone else, it's a stop what you're doing to care for someone else. It's a let people in so they can really know you life. It's a get to the finish line together life. It's a serve one another life. It's a be accountable to one another life. This imagery of these branches clinging to the vine, it's clear Jesus had no intention for any point in history for even one disciple To go it alone. His way would be to do life together. Clumps and clumps and clumps of grapes hanging there together. We're not perfect. We learn as we go. He changes us in His time. We apologize, we support, we stay the course. Never just one scraggly clump of grapes, but beautiful, beautiful clusters of grapes together. Hanging there together, bonding with him and with each other. In the time the Gospel of John was written, the traditional practice was that if you wanted to learn from a teacher, you would go and ask this rabbi, Could I become your disciple? But Jesus reminded his friends, You didn't choose me. I chose you. I came after you. I sought you out. He's the King of Kings. And he wants to be king of our hearts. And he's chosen us. He's chosen you. He's chosen me. They were a diverse, chosen group. And he chose them for a new kind of life together. And that's us, too. It's what he wants to provide for us, too. There are implications to what Jesus is talking about. Fruit comes when disciples are bonded to life in Christ. Fruit that remains not just plastic fruit in a bowl for decoration, but real fruit that has all the life of the vine in it. The king of kings takes residence in a person's heart and all the life and spirit of God, all of it can flow through that person. Chosen by Jesus to go and produce lasting fruit, you and me together. That's who we are. The king wants to provide for us on this journey. He says, this is my command. Love each other. It's not necessarily easy in our complex world, in our busy world, but it's God's best. It's the way of Jesus. And what might it look like if Jesus came in and just took up All the space fully on the throne of our hearts. What would it look like to have his love flowing through us in friendship? Just a few things. Our friendships will be genuine. We'll be patient with each other. We'll sacrifice for each other. We'll take initiative. We'll give time. We'll have a welcoming spirit toward one another. We'll be responsive to each other. We'll be humble. We'll get rid of jealousy. We'll be honest. We'll grow in our willingness to be vulnerable with one one another. Like everything, it's across the course of our lifetimes. We can't force it. We can invite and join as the Spirit wants to work these things in and through us. Jesus promised to provide for the journey. The King of our hearts has promised to provide for our journey. And his plan is to knit, to use adhesive to knit our hearts with his And to use that adhesive to knit us together with each other. He longs for his church to be those people connected to him and to each other. The journey has twists and turns. It's difficult at times. But remember Jesus said when you experience these things. Remember that I promised you it would happen. And you'll trust in me more. The king of our hearts is a good and perfect and caring king. The king of our hearts wants us to cling to him no matter what. The king of our hearts paid a once for all price that we would never have been able to pay. And we can experience his kingship today, tomorrow, and for all of eternity. Let me just close with this. The day that our daughter Sarah was born, it was a great day, but it was a long one. Years of waiting, and we finally got pregnant, and those months were precious and tense all at the same time. It seemed, though, that the day had finally come. My labor started. Nick and I went to the hospital. Sarah resisted, and my labor stopped. They sent us home. Cindy prayed, and soon enough, I was back chewing the dashboard of our van, desperately, (laughs) desperately Wanting that baby to come out, I pushed, I pushed, I pushed. She'd been in there 41 weeks and was in no rush. I think she had grown accustomed to the comfort, to the security, to the warm fuzzy. That didn't require anything of Sarah. I pushed some more, and I pushed some more, and finally she arrived. Nick and I cried. We sang to her. We snuggled her, and then they took her from us. They stretched her out. They measured her. They weighed her, and they bathed her, and it became apparent to me that the journey was just beginning for Sarah. And I didn't like at all what I was witnessing. Strangers, instruments, dipping her in that water, no longer in the seclusion of the womb. Sarah began to experience on her own what Nick and I already knew her life would not be that warm womb experience. Helpless and screaming, she didn't come out even knowing how to suck. She was dependent, completely dependent. She needed things that she was not capable of doing on her own. And I realized in those early moments that she was going to spend her lifetime learning and growing. It was painful to realize that I wouldn't be able to do it all for her. The craziness died down, some hours passed, and nighttime fell on Salem Hospital. They left Nick, Sarah, and me alone there in the room. And it was there in the quiet that I think I witnessed my daughter begin to learn life's first lesson. And I think it was there in that quiet that I think maybe I learned life's greatest lesson. She was in the bassinet and she whimpered. She was growing more frantic. I was ripped and torn and could not move fast enough to get out of bed to reach her. She was escalating and she was beginning to fight. And then in the darkness, I looked across the room and I saw what Sarah couldn't see. I saw Nick, her daddy, the king of her heart. And he had risen at the sound of her first cry. And he was making her way there in the dark. She just didn't know it yet. He was moving with passion. He knew his daughter needed him. He went to her. He stood over her. He reached in. He picked her up. And he just said over and over again, Daddy's here. Daddy's here. Daddy's here. The king of our hearts thought of us long before we knew to think of him. And whether we always see him clearly or not, he's there.